Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. 66 degrees outside, and I'm cooped up in this uh, studio here. I'm not outside enjoying the out-of-doors. Yesterday, when the weather was so nice as well, I took uh, my wife and I, we went over to Sugar House Park, uh, you know, that big open field there next to the next to the lake of sorts. There uh, were about 3,000 dogs running around. That was great. Little Piper got her face licked a few times. And as we were standing there, uh, later on, laying down in the grass, looking up at the sky, uh, we heard uh, a sound, uh, and I'll try to replicate the sound. It was a lot like this. And look around trying to find what the heck is that? And what it was, there was a family off in the corner of this field, and together they were launching some of those little hobbyist rockets up into the sky. And the the parachute would deploy at a certain point, and the kids would run and try to catch the rocket before we landed on the ground. Uh, when when the noise went off, I thought to myself at first, I thought, oh, you know, that's going to startle little baby Piper. And uh, and so I you know I quickly moved towards her to make sure that she wasn't too uncomfortable by uh, you know this loud kind of hobby-style rocket sound. And when I looked over to her, instead of being uh, afraid, she was looking up right at the rocket and had a big grin on her face. And it reminded me of when she was very, very young, uh, one of the SpaceX launches uh, took place, and I made a big point of uh, propping her up in front of the TV, thinking, oh, maybe she'll be into this STEM stuff here someday. And uh, it just felt good to see her looking up at that rocket. And, you know, just who knows? She's a little tiny baby thing, and she doesn't know what she wants to do with her life quite yet. But uh, me as a dad, fantasizing down the road uh, about her, uh, you know, stepping into the footsteps of all of those uh, strong and impressive women who have blazed trails uh, in the field of science and technology and mathematics. Uh, that that was an exciting and encouraging thing. Anyway, I, I, I tell that story on the occasion of today, International Women's Day, and also welcome to the program Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson, who uh, participated in an event here this morning uh, under the banner of Choosing to Challenge, and uh, invited her to the program to speak about that challenge and about this day in general. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, welcome to the program. How are you? Great. Thanks, Lee. It's, it's a pleasure to be with you today. Uh, choosing to Challenge, what does that mean? Well, I, I think it, it just means choosing to challenge the status quo, choosing to challenge uh, any any notion that, um, that that maybe women don't belong in certain spaces or or don't do as well in, in certain spaces, and, uh, and and challenging outdated notions that uh, that that you know we we, uh, we shouldn't have a voice. Um, I, I think it can mean a lot of things. That uh, feels like there's a long list there. If we were to start at the top with the most urgent necessity, uh, where where are we directing our, our challenges at the onset? Well, I, I think it's important right now, especially in, in light of the past year uh, with the pandemic and, and how we have really seen um, that women were disproportionately affected negatively by, um, you know, economically, um, by some of the, the, the 
situations that we've seen developing out of this pandemic with, with job losses and having to take on um, additional responsibilities, making sure, um, you know, ki kids get uh, educated while, while schools might have moved online and uh, child care options are not as available. Um, I think really starting there right now is, is something that's important to do, but also um, what I love about Women's History Month and, and International Women's Day is a, a really good time to celebrate this is to look back on uh, some of the significant contributions of women in the past and, uh, and, and recognize those and, and celebrate those and realize that we are where we are today because of those achievements. And they're, they're not always articulated. They're not always focused on. But here in the state of Utah, at least, we've been doing a lot better over the past few years but about recognizing the contributions um, that, that women, everyday women, and, and some also, you know, not-so-typical women uh, have made in our state's history. Uh, tonight, as uh, I put little Piper down to bed and I swap out a bedtime story for the biography of someone, uh, some strong woman here from Utah, uh, which biography would you recommend I share with her? You know, there are actually there are actually so many. Um, it's 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 fun to to think about and talk about some of the uh, early suffragists in Utah. We had a lot of those, um, but there was there is one woman I think that that is. Uh, also really good to focus on. Her name was Alice Kasai, and she was really a, a fearless lead, leader. She was a strong advocate for Utah's Japanese community, and um, her husband was arrested and taken to one of these uh, internment camps during World War II, and when that happened, Alice became president of the Japanese American Civic League and pushed for civil rights and full citizenship of Japanese immigrants, and we have a, a long list of women such as Alice who really were fearless in their advocacy and making sure that um, that voices, uh, marginalized voices, were being heard, and um, and and that problems were being solved and not overlooked. I'm a, a, a competitive person by nature, uh, and I look often to the accomplishments of Utah and compare them to elsewhere in the nation. How do we how do we stack up? How do we stack up in terms of equality and fairness and understanding and equal opportunity uh, when it comes to, to women here in the state of Utah? Well, you know, we could do better, to be honest. Um, it just depends on which measurements you're looking at. Um, but Utah tends to, to fall kind of at the bottom of the list when it comes to um, when it comes to government positions, for example, and, and leadership w within those. Um, but we, we're doing really well in terms of, of economics. Um, we have uh, Utah women own over 89,000 businesses. Um, they they make up 45 percent of the state's workforce. Um, they employ 80,000 Utahns and contribute over $15 billion to the economy every year. Um, and, and then they also make really incredible and, and invaluable impacts um, on our families and our communities through unpaid labor. Uh, this is what I did for 13 years, you know, and, I, and still do really to this day, which is, you know, the, the labor that, that includes taking care of kids and, and, and our, our parents and doing housework and doing all sorts of other things that women tend to do and, and often falls on their shoulders but that they don't get paid for. And, and I think that we're doing really well, especially in our state of recognizing that and, and helping to break down some of the barriers and 
some of the, the problems that we do see. Um, Governor Cox and I are very interested in this. Equality and opportunity is actually one of the six pillars of our administration, one of the, one of the six uh, areas in our roadmap that we, we want to make sure that we focus on. And so we, we are working on an internal audit um, that, that uh, looks at, at pay equity in state agencies. We're looking at um, uh, an audit of, of, of leadership and workforce status in our state agencies. Um, we're, we're working really hard to make sure that we appoint women to positions of leadership in, in state government. Um, we want to uh, recruit and appoint a diverse group of, of Utahns um, to, to state boards and commissions, in, including making sure that we have some gender parity there um, and making sure that we, uh, you know, commit to investing in the skills and the training programs that will increase women uh, participation in, in, in diverse communities and, and diverse communities in, in STEM fields, for example. Um, so we are also, we've spent a, a lot of time the past few years really digging up and, and excavating these women's, these stories of, of Utah women in the past. And, and uh, we're, we've uh, supported funding for a new position in, in our um, office of, uh, or our, our division of state history for um, a women state historian. Uh, to prioritize telling and, and collecting and, and discovering women's stories and how they have influenced our state. And I think that that's something that's really important to continue to focus on. Very good. As that, as that uh, position comes into uh, into focus, I'd love to speak with uh, you know whoever fills that role and uh, what the objectives of that office will be. Uh, before I let you go, and again, folks, we've been speaking with Utah Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson on the occasion of this International Women's Day. Uh, g- give me the name of that woman I need to look up again. Uh, Alice? Alice Kasai. Kasai. Okay. Alice Kasai, yes. All right. Uh, thank you it so- is K-A-S-A-I. Okay, very good. I've got it. I, and let me just brag for a second. I smell it correctly. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much, uh, <laughs> Lieutenant Governor. It's been a pleasure to speak with you on this day. Thank you. All righty. Uh, we're going to take a break right now. Uh, when we return, uh, I want to share with you some of the details stemming from the passage of the stimulus bill over the weekend. It now makes its way uh, to the House where it's expected to pass. But the big question I know may be on your mind is, should it pass the House? When can you expect that $1,400 to be delivered into your account? We'll get into those details next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.